When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Happy New Year, and welcome to another episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. I'm the titular Sean. And I'm the very titular Carrie. And this is the show that brings you an inside look at the ooky, the spooky, the unexplainable, the unbelievable, and the bizarre, and tries to find an answer. This week, Carrie, I have a a very ooky and spooky story for you. Perfect. Um, ghost stories. Usually you're the one who will bring a ghost story to this uh, uh, podcast. And this relationship. And this relationship. <laughs> um, but I have one today that's a little bit closer to home. Yay. Uh, this would be the Lindley Street Poltergeist. Ooh. Mm-hmm. It's a poltergeist. That's right. Uh, from right here in Bridgeport, Connecticut, our hometown. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this uh, this book that you're referencing for this is called The World's Most Haunted House. That's right. <laughs> so it's, you know, right off the bat, it's telling you here's what's up. Yeah. The most haunting ever. That's right. And I think it's worth, um, it's a pretty good story. And uh, Lorraine and Ed Warren get involved in a of big course. way. It's Lo- Connecticut. Local celebrities. <laughs> it's CT, baby. And, and um, it's... A little bit of a unique case, because as you're reading through it, uh, there's just so many eyewitnesses to so many genuinely amazing things. Love that. Now, this happened back in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, William J. Hall wasn't around for it. Uh, he is a magician, William Hall. Uh, there's a little bit of a... I see you making a face. There's a little bit of a connection between magicians and investigating the paranormal. Uh, going back to Houdini, who mm-hmm. loved nothing more than debunking mediums and stuff like that. Um, the Amazing Randy, same deal. Um, Penn and Teller, same deal. They mm-hmm. all love... Um, a magician lies for a living, right? But he tells the audience, or she tells the audience that they're doing it. So uh, I think they have an extra amount of fun finding like actual fraudsters and going like, hey, knock it off. Right. Like a little bit of professional, hey, come on, guy. You yeah. Know? Yeah, yeah. This isn't how we do this. You tell them that you're lying. Otherwise, it's not impressive. (laughs) So that's kind of my impression is that's how William Hall got started is he liked to uh, debunk um, mediums, ghost stories, uh, that kind of thing, the paranormal. Mm -hmm. And this is one of a few cases. He's written a few books because he wrote them on the cases that he couldn't debunk, he says. Love that. And uh, this Lindley Street poltergeist is one of them. And uh, what Hall says is that particularly the eyewitness reports from police, and he interviewed a few of them, and he he points out the police are trained observers. You know, it's part of their kind of whole job is being able to reliably... Their whole shtick. Yeah, they're supposed to be able to reliably report what they saw, right? So you can take uh, an officer's word, uh, plus what do they have to gain from it, right? A little easier than the family who lives in the house. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Um, I'm going to start with giving a little background on the family here, because poltergeists are very personal hauntings, aren't they, Carrie? Usually, yeah. Um, a lot of the time they're connected to emotional issues, trauma, uh, situations going on within a family or with a person just in the house. Um, yeah, I didn't know this was a poltergeist situation, so that's very interesting. They are often attracted to new you know, a family having just moved into a house, it seems. They're often attracted to, um, as you said, some tragedy or um, emotional turmoil following the family. And what poltergeists are especially attracted to is uh, young children. Well, not young children. Um, prepubescent children or pubescent children. Uh, girls or boys. Uh-oh. Uh, yeah. In almost every poltergeist case, if not everyone... There is a child, usually a girl, living in the house between the age of, like, 8 and 15. Every time. So you're saying poltergeists are usually attracted to young girls. I'm so... <laughs> are they Woody Allen? You... <laughs> She's my daughter. Ugh. <laughs> Doesn't make it better! Okay. Um, uh... What I'm saying to you is that, because you know me, what I'm saying to you is that poltergeists are probably girls throwing tantrums most of the time oh yeah typical man blaming the haunting on the girl it's, being cranky now if you were inclined to if you had a little bit more of a charitable view on poltergeists you might say or women you might say that spirits are attracted to um the immense kind of turmoil going on emotionally with a child uh, when they're at that age, right? Their body's changing, everything's changing, and um, they're pretty distraught in almost every case. So that could be something a, a spirit or something more malevolent uh, could attach itself to. And you see that in, say, The Conjuring. Yeah, um, I think that's definitely a factor. And it makes a lot of sense because there's a lot of children that just say weird things and, and creepy things. Um, because I think there's there's both like a nature and nurture about it. Nurture being they're not totally trained yet to think everything is not real. And they're, they have kind of that magical thinking still mm -hmm. as a child. Um, and maybe that makes them a little more open to experiences, but also the nature thing. I've read in different places that it's hypothesized that because they're not um, fully developed as children, especially pubescent children, there's a lot of hormones going on, but your your brain isn't still is still growing and changing. And I think it kind of can relate to like the third eye idea where you're just more perceptive to things because, again, you still have that childlike view of the world. Mm -hmm. And I've also heard that spirits uh, in general are just attracted to intense emotional issues um, because it's like it's tasty. I don't know. It's it's energy. It's um it's interesting to be around for them. Yeah, and now another thing, another theory on poltergeists is actually that, and by the way, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably know what a poltergeist is, but we're talking about any activity where things move around a room without being touched. Yeah, you're, you're not actually seeing an apparition basically any of the time or a ghost of a person or whatever. It's a lot of that kind of, like a telekinetic thing almost, but there's no um, discernible 
origin of it. It just happens. Things fall over. Things are thrown. People move. People are lifted. Um, but you usually can't see what's causing it. That's right. And since these things almost always center around a child, um, it's been hypothesized that maybe poltergeist activity is actually evidence of telekinetic mm-hmm. powers manifesting only at that kind of specific prepubescent age along with all that um, inner turmoil and trauma that's going on. Because that's when all the brain chemistry is making it happen. Possibly. Who knows? Sure. Yeah. It's definitely been researched by the American government, for sure, uh, which we'll talk about at a later date. But, you know, it, it hasn't been always completely discounted that things like telekinesis and ESP and all that exist. Mm hmm. And uh, I think it's important, lastly, to get into this family's um, uh, history and mental state because people's mental state is important when you're going to evaluate the things they claim to have seen. Oh, absolutely. So let's get into this family, the Gooden family, um, who seemed very nice and uh, had a really rough run of luck. Okay, let's get into it. All right. So in 1960, Gerard, Jerry, and Laura Gooden moved into this house on Lindley Street here in Bridgeport. Uh, Jerry was a maintenance man at Harvey Hubble, which was a factory in town that made uh, electronics parts. Uh, he was also a local Boy Scout leader and uh, noted, you know, kind of generous man about town. He won- While he was a troop leader, he convinced a local shoe store owner to give all the boys in the troop new shoes. Uh, and the way he convinced him was like, listen, you're, you're going to have customers when these kids grow up. Uh, and so the guy gave... Uh, uh, Shoes to the whole troop, which is like poor, poor, Bridgeport kids, you know. It's nice. Uh, it's nice. Uh, Laura, meanwhile, was from a Native American family, uh, and she grew up kind of out in wide open spaces without any children around. And so uh, she had a lot of trouble making friends. She was apparently pretty quiet and withdrawn and socially awkward. But when she met Jerry, they got along great, uh, fell, fell in love uh, fast and hard. And, uh, um, you know, they said they just made each other laugh all the time. They would have fun constantly. Aww, that's nice. It is nice. And uh, they moved into the house childless, but in Halloween, ni- on Halloween night, 1961, they welcomed their first child, Jerry Gooden Jr. That's the dream. Jerry was not a well child. No. Jerry was diagnosed with cerebral palsy. Oh, geez. And because they had just bought a house, the Goodens were denied financial assistance because Ugh. they owned property. Ugh. Um. America. Yeah. So while this boy was missing out on every developmental milestone you would expect a baby to be hitting in their first and second year, um, they were taking care of its every need. And meanwhile, Laura's 75-year-old mother had to come and live with them because she couldn't take care of herself fully anymore. Mm. Uh, Now, at first, the the mother-in-law got the bed um, and the family slept on the living room floor next to their baby. The bed? Yes. There was one bed in the house. Uh, and so until they could buy a rollaway for the mom to sleep on, uh, they all spent several weeks just camped out on the floor with the baby. Mm-hmm. This uh, kind of continued in this way until 1965 when the mother uh, went to a nursing home. Um, she did pass two years later mm. in 1967. Now, in 1967 also, and I told you this is a really hard run of luck for Jeez, this family. Sean. Jerry Jr. caught a cold and died. Oh. Oh. The day after his funeral, Laura had a hysterectomy because a tumor had been found on her uterus. So she would never have any more children. Okay. That's pretty rough. Yeah. They had a little shrine to Jerry Jr. in the house. Mm. 
um, they were, you know, just overcome and overtaken with sadness. Um, at the funeral, the priest, uh, their priest asked them if they were, if you're ever interested in adopting or anything, please let me know. Uh, and they said, we can't even think about that. We'll, yeah. we'll you know, we might never want another child. <sighs> well, in May 1968, um, they had gotten past their grief, uh, or at least they were living with their grief, and they were ready to um, move on and bring a little life into the home. Um, I think... I don't have the exact quote in front of me here, but Laura said that uh, a home isn't a home without a child. And so she mm. wanted to get a kid. So they found Marcia, M-A-R-C-I-A. Marcia uh, or Marcia? No, it's Marcia. She was okay. called Marcia a lot of the time. Okay. Um, she was up in Canada. So uh, Jerry was going to have to go get her. But this was a four and a half year old girl. She was the youngest of uh, nine children. Uh, she was a full-blooded Seneca Indian. Uh, who was the who had um, been abused by her parents pretty badly? It was mm -hmm. often kind of just left tied to a chair for hours on end. Oh gosh! And so the adopt the, the family didn't want her anymore. They willingly gave her up, uh, and the adoption agency chose the Goodens because of Laura's heritage. They said they like to to match those kinds of things when they can. Uh, and Jerry it, the, was having some car trouble at the time, but he uh, bragged that he drove on two cylinders out of six. Uh, for 18 hours straight to go and pick up this child. Mm. Uh, as soon as he got home, he got to work knocking down a wall and making a new bedroom in, in what had been a closet. And uh, Laura said that uh, little Marcia kind of fit in right away, and she was all smiles, and she, quote, filled the hole that was in our hearts. Aww. Now, obviously, um, Laura has a little bit of a complex at this point about her children's safety. Yeah, understandably. Uh, so when it was time for Marcia to start school, she would walk her to school, carry her books for her, uh, come get her for lunch, walk her home for that. Um, she was never allowed to cross the street or walk down the street to play with other kids. Uh, and she was basically, uh, talk about a helicopter mom, right? She was basically with her parents 100% of the time. Mm, that's and tough. It is. And she had basically no friends her age. Um, what she did a lot was draw. So she grew into a very talented artist. Mm -hmm. And people say she, she, she seemed to grow resentful of Laura because she had no friends and she felt like it was her mom's fault. Uh, but Jerry, she idolized. She followed him around everywhere. It's tough. You can't really blame Laura, but, you know, kids gotta, gotta be kids. They gotta meet people and go out and be stupid and stuff uh, within reason, you know? Mm -hmm. That's hard. Now, Marcia was going to St. Patrick's School. Um, in, in, which I suppose was in Bridgeport. I, I couldn't, yeah, it's I not, it's not here now. Yeah. She was going to a Catholic school. Uh, the family was a devout Catholic family, but then Jerry's hours got cut back at the factory and they couldn't afford the school anymore. So Marcia went to Reed public school. Also mm -hmm. not here anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, where the children called her ape because of her native heritage oh, God. and told her to her face, she didn't belong. Um, this despite the fact that at age nine, she had just gotten her U U.S. citizenship on uh, June 15th, 1973. Poor thing. Yeah. The bullying got pretty bad. Uh, in the fall of 1974, a, a little boy punched her in the back. And then while she was on the ground, kicked her in the groin, uh, causing serious injuries that uh, required her to wear a back brace. Jesus. Sean? <laughs> Uh, to which Laura said, you are never going back to that school. And actually, the, the Bridgeport School District assigned a tutor to come and, and live with the family. My God. Uh -huh. uh, here's and, a... and the family has a poltergeist eventually? I'm going to 
beat up every single child. I'm going to find all these children. How, how many years has it been? 50? Yep. I'm going to beat them all up. All of these adults. I'm going to beat them up. <laughs> um, so you're right. This has been a lot of sadness and no ghost shit at all. I just don't want things to get worse for this family, Sean. I know. I know. But there had been little signs of things happening already. Mm-hmm. The Gooden said they noticed later that it started right after Marcia's adoption that small items would be found out of place around the house. Uh, just little things, you know, n- nothing that you would take note of. Uh, but, well, you know, the remote goes missing every day in our house. So, so it was just little things like that. But they... I know who to blame for that, though. <laughs> yeah, the dog. <laughs> I do it all the time. <laughs> Remotes, farts, everything gets blamed on Poe. So small items would be found out of place. <laughs> um, and, you know, they, they it, there was no way to account for how they'd gotten there, but... Um, that's the kind of thing you just notice and move on with your day. But but it adds up over time and it gets weird. Now, by 1969, Marcia was hanging out with a Rosemary Hoffman, who was a daughter of some friends of, of her parents. Mm-hmm. And uh, when they first, you know how kids are with set up play dates when they're young <laughs> and the, the kids don't have any interest in being there. Uh, so Rosemary and Marcia would just, for the beginning of their friendship, apparently just sit silently on opposite ends of the couch <sighs> while the parents were all in the kitchen. And on one of these occasions, Rosemary came running into the kitchen in tears, and she told the grown-ups that while she and Marcia had been sitting, Rosemary's end of the couch had floated up off the floor, and she started to get scared and uh, uh, made, you know, made a scared noise, and then the couch seemed to go even higher. And she said that the more frightened she got, the higher the couch rose until it was about two feet off the ground, uh, and then it gently lowered itself back down to the floor. At which point, Marcia, apparently, according to Rosemary, looked over at Rosemary and just gave her a confused smile. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Rosemary also said that sometimes she would come into Marcia's room to find her cross-legged on the floor, uh, rocking back and forth with her eyes closed. Okay. Of course, Rosemary asked what she was up to. And uh, Marcia... What you doing? Marcia said she was talking to her grandfather. She told her she missed him very much and that he was a chief on the reservation and that he was very unhappy she had been taken away by the Goodens. Interesting. Marcia also told Rosemary that uh, it made her sad. She was the only one of nine children her parents didn't want to keep. But she knew that whenever she wanted to talk to her grandfather, she could just do it like this. Now, did we know if the grandfather was alive or not? We don't know. Okay. I didn't know if it was like a tele pathic thing or a ghost thing no i believe the implication is that he's still alive interesting poor girl okay yeah now in 1971 and then again in 1972 the goodens made calls to the police department there's records of all this this is where we get into stuff that there's you know there's a paper trail on all this stuff Mm -hmm. Um, the goodens called the police a couple times to complain about a rhythmic pounding noise they would hear at night Mm -hmm. coming from where uh, Jerry described the, everywhere. Oh, Jerry described it as being quote like the house was being stoned, and uh, not it wasn't token on that fine <laughs> four twenty bra. Don't give me that look. <laughs> um, no, like someone was throwing rocks at the house, uh, but from everywhere. Jeez. And, uh, Jerry said they weren't frightened by this, just kind of annoyed. Sure were. Um, because in both instances, it started in November, and then was going for on and off for about two weeks. 
Okay. Um, Jerry thought it might have been a neighbor playing pranks. Um, because, a good old throw rocks at the house for two weeks prank. Well, they had a neighbor who had, uh, Jerry said, well, they have kids and motorcycles. And that was his reasoning. <laughs> Life's pretty cheap to that sort. <laughs> Jerry described the noises as having a definite pattern. They would start it as a light tapping and work up into what he called an awful banging. Jeez, Okay. Officer John Holsworth, who was a friend of the family, suggested uh, recording the noises, uh, which they did. And the police heard it and said, yeah, these are weird banging noises, but uh, no satisfactory explanation could be found. The firefighters came and checked the foundation, the basement, and the surrounding neighborhood for what could be making the noise. The gas company suggested it might be trapped air uh, in the... In the um, Pipes, which mm-hmm. made the good the good switch to an electric oil-fired furnace, and the noises continued. Mm. Uh, now, J- Jerry, starting to maybe get a little paranoid, uh, did point out that a planned condo complex was supposed to be built nearby, and the developers were trying to convince people to sell. He um. thought they might have been trying to uh, trying to grease the wheels a little bit. Hey, I mean, if this noise seems like it's coming from outside in in a way uh, maybe maybe that could be it it's not the craziest thing in the world now all of this came to a head in the summer of 1974 first uh, jerry and laura in their most frightening apparition yet uh, saw what they thought what they were sure was a disembodied hand in an upstairs window oh yeah they ran inside uh, but they saw nothing in there don't like that no that's not good at all mm-mm now, early in the autumn, Laura heard three knocks at the door, just like that, went to the door and found no person there, um, but there were wet footprints, just a single set of wet footprints on the front porch. It was a dry night. Yeah. Ugh. Around this time, Jerry called uh, his assistant scoutmaster and told him that there were doors opening by themselves and chairs moving from the spots where they were left. Um, the scoutmaster later said that Jerry was known to be something of a jokester. So uh, he, he he figured it was just a, a prank that, that he was setting him up for. Great joke. Now, on Thursday, November 21st, the Goodens were eating dinner with the Holsworths. Not John Holsworth, the cop they knew, but um, his wife and daughter. Mm-hmm. They seem like very social people. They're friends with everyone on the street. Yeah, I like them. I don't want them to have a scary poltergeist. Well, unfortunately, Caroline... <laughs> they have a scary poltergeist. They were eating dinner with Holsworth's wife and daughter when they heard broken, uh, breaking glass. They all sprinted upstairs to find that the lower pane of their master bedroom window had been shattered from the inside. Now, it was double pane glass, and the outer pane was untouched. Okay. It was an empty room, so they weren't sure how that could even happen. Where was uh, Marcia? At the time, she was sitting at the table with the meeting. Oh, okay. Wow. My favorite part of this book, actually, big ups to William J. Hall. At the end of this book, he has a table of every recorded incidence of poltergeist activity Mm -hmm. and whether Marcia was there or not. Nice. Okay. Marcia was there or not, Mm -hmm. Uh, which is cool. It's a great idea. Um, This sets up for... What the Goodens would later call Hell Weekend. Nice. Yeah. And, and with a <laughs> sounds m- like college orientation or something. Yeah, really? Yeah, or or like a yeah, some kind of a terrible fraternity thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the only one hazing the Goodens 
would be the ghosts. And we'll get into Hell Weekend right after we get into a break. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Lots of things are a struggle right now. School, work, even something as simple as going to the grocery store, it could feel overwhelming. But one thing that shouldn't be overwhelming is accessing mental and emotional care. That's where BetterHelp comes in. BetterHelp is the leader in online counseling with over 4,000 licensed counselors on the site and over 500,000 people who have gotten counseling to date. The mission of BetterHelp is to make professional counseling accessible, affordable, and convenient, so anyone who struggles with life's challenges can get help anytime, anywhere. I've been using BetterHelp for the better part of this year, and honestly, I don't know how I would have gotten through 2020 without it. And, of course, Sean and Poe. When I need to talk to my counselor, I can just text her and I can schedule chats, phone calls, or video calls for longer sessions. This means I have flexibility to set a session during the week, or during busy weeks, I can just shoot her a message here and there when I have time. Take control of your mental and emotional well-being. BetterHelp is a great place to start. For 10% off your first month's subscription of BetterHelp, go to our podcast link at www.betterhelp.com slash scary and see how good it can feel to push past the struggle and find hope in a new day. That's www.betterhelp.com slash A-I-N-T-I-T-S-C-A-R-Y for 10% off your first month of BetterHelp. Get professional counseling anytime, anywhere, because you deserve to be happy. Welcome back. When last we left you, things were starting to heat up for the Gooden family in their new house on Lindley Street. Not new anymore. They've been living there for 14 years at this point. Now, as I said, it was Thursday, November 21st, when the Goodens were having that dinner with their friends, and they heard that glass breaking upstairs. Mm -hmm. Now, the next day, Jerry got done with work. It was Friday night. He came home. The Goodens had dinner, and they were discussing um, a family road trip they were making the next day to Dover Plains to visit Jerry's cousin. Um, so after dinner, Laura and Jerry slid into their his and hers recliners. The <laughs> the, the living room setup was kind of um, three recliners, um, Jerry, Laura, and Marcia. That's very cute. So they each had their own little recliner. So uh, they got rid of that couch that levitated. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> That's enough of that. So now they're all in chairs. Uh, Laura and Jerry slid into their recliners. Uh, Marcia spread out on the floor with a puzzle. And they had just settled in when noises started from the master bedroom. So the whole family got up and went to investigate. Mm -hmm. They got to the master bedroom and found the window shade had rolled up. One of those old timey like, (laughs) you know, like in a cartoon when it, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) Uh, the window shade had rolled up and the curtain 
was on the floor. Like it had been pulled off or something. Or something. The window was closed, so wind was not the culprit. Mm-hmm. Weird, right? But weird stuff's been happening lately. Uh, Jerry drew the shade. Uh, the couple worked together to put the, cur- uh, the curtain back in place, and the whole family uh, turned to walk back downstairs when the rod flew off the window, pulling the curtain to the floor, and the shade <laughs> flapped back to the top. Bugs Bunny has a sick sense of humor. Yeah, Jerry said at this point he and Laura looked at each other, took a deep sigh, and decided to leave it where it was. Fair. You want it there? That's fine. (laughs) Um, So they went back, they settled into the living room, and they had their nice night as a family. Until half an hour later. Mm -hmm. Now there was noise from the kitchen. (laughs) Well, they went into the kitchen, they heard a little bang. They went to the kitchen, and the curtains and curtain rod were on the floor. What's this thing got against curtains? Well, Jerry is said. Uh, Jerry is said to have said out loud at this point. Well, whatever it is, clearly it doesn't like curtains. <laughs> I like Jerry. It's like uh, the jerk. He hates these cans. <laughs> Almost as soon as he had gotten those words out of his mouth, Jerry said the banging noises came back now louder and longer than they'd ever heard them before. The poltergeist doesn't like your bits, Jerry. Um, the family was, remember, sitting there trying to watch TV. Uh, Laura and Marcia covered their ears as the banging got too loud to handle. Um, Jerry apparently said nothing and tried to just ignore it, just tried to keep watching the television. <sighs> this poor man's just trying to have his nighttime programs. Mm-hmm. And finally, he covered his ears, too. Oh, jeez. A few minutes later, the banging finally stopped. The family all uncovered their ears, couldn't really think of anything to say to each other. Jerry took a deep breath, shut off the TV, and they all went to bed. Okay. If I was Marcy, I'd be very nervous about going to bed alone tonight. <laughs> As would I. But uh, there were no more incidents that night, and their trip to, the, to visit family the next day went well, too. Okay. Well, they're not in the house. That's right. (laughs) They were back on Lindley Street by 4.30 p.m. So the dog's already barking to welcome them home. uh, And Jerry got out of the car and started in with the groceries. um, Because they'd gone shopping on the way back home. This is a quick trip. No, they were gone all day. Yeah, but they go on a road trip to Dover Plain, wherever that is. Oh, yeah. but Then they go shopping and they're back by 4.30. It's a pretty quick trip. Yeah. For a Saturday. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, but it's the 70s. Maybe. Maybe. You <laughs> Everything's <wouldn't>... quick back then. <laughs> fast cars, fast women. <laughs> As Jerry walked in, he walked past Marcia's bedroom. Marcia was still in the car. And Marcia had a TV in her room, lucky kid. Um, but it was unplugged. And instead of being sitting on the dresser where on the shelf where it normally was, it was face down on her bed. Ew. He replaced it back where it belonged. So I was one of those kids that had a TV in my room because I was an only child, so I didn't have much else to do besides watch TV and read a lot of the time. Uh-huh. Um, if that had happened to me, I think I would have run right back out of that house. Yeah, right? Well, especially because it... it My TV used to turn on and off by itself a lot. Poltergeist. Yeah. Was it around puberty? Uh, yeah, yeah, we'll go into it 
uh, later, but yeah, I had a lot of stuff happen when I was a kid. My parents will tell you I didn't, but. So Jerry replaces Marcia's TV and he starts to walk back into the kitchen saying, Laura, you gotta get a load of this. Um, And as he walks into the kitchen, Laura is screaming as the dishes begin to rise out of the sink and fly around the room. Oh, boy, you got Sorcerer's Apprentice going on around yes, here. full Sorcerer's Apprentice. They're Sword smashing, in the stone type of thing. They're smashing themselves on the carpet. Oh, no, you're supposed to do like a Merlin, and they're supposed to wash themselves. Nope. Well, Bad if, dishes. If you remember, that went badly. Well, yeah. <laughs> I was hoping for the best here. According to Hall, uh, they started this affair with uh, dinner service for 12 all but one or two were broken by the time the dishes had finished flinging themselves around the room. Come on, poltergeist. They don't have all disposable income to get a bunch more china. That's probably what Jerry was thinking as he bent to clean it up. Hmm. And five knives lifted themselves out of the knife block on the wall and flew across the room. At him? At him. I hope he ducked. He said he covered his head with his arms and ducked and then dropped fully to the floor. Uh, The knives all, he's not hit by any knives. Um, And he gets up to go examine the knife block. Like, what what is this, spring loaded? What's what's going on (laughs) here? It's like a toaster. He reaches out to touch it. And the knife block, which was attached to the wall with heavy screws, flies, tears itself off the wall and flies at Jerry. Christ. He caught it. Okay. Which is impressive. Yeah. Ooh. Then everything was silent. The couple looked at each other. <laughs> the poltergeist is like, shit. The couple looked at each other like, is it is it over? Yeah, it's like, my, a good catch, my one weakness. <laughs> um, so Jerry goes to get more groceries. They're still in the car. <laughs> I love this guy, though. Well, that was weird. He just keeps, he got ice cream in the car, though. <laughs> he just keeps trying to get on with his life. And he and, tries to just be a dad. And it's going to melt if you don't get it in the freezer. That's important. 100%. The groceries and Marcia are still in the car. So he goes to get the groceries. Um, as soon as he's out of the room, Laura said she hear, heard something behind her, turned around, and watched the two legs of the kitchen table that were closer to her uh, lift slowly off the ground. You better not break that table, poltergeist. Until And flip away from her until it uh, uh, just gently kind of placed itself upside down, leaning on two of the chairs. Like gently, not like, okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, she then watched as the 300-pound refrigerator rose six inches off the ground, slowly rotated a quarter turn, and then slowly lowered itself back down to the ground. This poltergeist is just showing off now. It's not even doing, like, crazy stuff. Next, there was a 23-inch TV to the right of the sink. Pretty good for 1974, by the way. Uh, The 23-inch TV slowly tilted screen side down. Just, like, rose into the air. It came over towards Laura, slowly, slowly turning itself screen side down. And then it dropped to the floor. Smashing two of Laura's toes. Oh, Christ. Yeah. (sighs) At this point, Jerry's... My heart hurts for this family. And if you're wondering how long that all took, Jerry is coming back in with the groceries. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, Laura's screaming. Oh, shit. So he fills a basin for her foot, which is bleeding like crazy. Marcy is still in the car. Yeah, these are the old school TVs, all glass and 
Oof. Yep. So Laura makes dinner. You know, Jerry can't cook. It's 1974. And, uh, but, but by the time she's done cooking, uh, Jerry and Marcia change her bandage for her because it's soaked through with blood. Oh, God. And they get her into a chair. But I guess they figured it wasn't bad enough to go to the hospital initially. Right. Well, initially. Oh. So they're just, they're back in, they're back in our famous living room with the three recliners, right? It's like, okay, everything's chilling out. Jerry hears something in the kitchen again. He, I assume, cautiously walks in there and finds that the table is upside down again. Mm-hmm. Uh, he fixes it. He walks back into the living room, turns on the TV, uh, goes back into the kitchen to get some coffee, and the table is once again turned over. Leave these people alone. I'm going to punch all of the grown children, and I'm going to punch this poltergeist. Um, as he started to leave the kitchen that time, Marcia met him in the door and took the coffee cups from him, just including that detail because the author did. Um, so that is one that she was at least nearby for. Okay. So it's been a weird night, right? Yeah. A little bit, <laughs> yeah. Sean. So They're down a TV and two toes. Yeah. It's not good. No, not the, great. The knife block is probably going to need some work. I don't think I'd put it back where it was. I think those are going in a drawer after that. Um, so it's been a weird night, and Jerry is getting ready for bed. He's shaving. I don't know if I'd be holding a razor in this house at this point. But <laughs> you, you would just put a shiver through my body, Sean. You're a braver man than I, Jerry. Um, so he's shaving. <laughs> this five o'clock shadow stops for no poltergeist. <laughs> uh, so he's shaving, and he hears a loud noise, a bang, and then a scream from Marcia. He, of course, runs into her room. Uh, they're still shaving cream on half his face, they said, as he runs in. Um, the TV had come down again, and this time it had landed on Marcia's ankle. Christ! Yeah. Um, so at this point, he didn't put it back up. He disconnected the television and put it in the hallway for the night. Oh, my God. Okay. The family was all wide awake now. This no was Marcia's TV. Yes. That had been on the bed. He put it back. Landed on her ankle. Okay. Oof. The whole family's wide awake now. <laughs> Nobody's yeah. getting sleep. Um, so TV's flying around. So Jerry puts on a movie uh, so they can all kind of uh, uh, unwind. With their last remaining TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. The one, yeah, the one TV that's left um, and not unplugged or broken. Um, and he puts on the most dad thing he can possibly think of, Battle of the Bulge. I was going to say Caddyshack, but then I realized it hadn't come out yet. That's right. Yeah, no. <laughs> That's the most dad thing I could think of. Before, Battle of the Bulge. Yeah, before Bill Murray, there was World War II for dads. <laughs> before Bill Murray, there was only World War II. Now, as they're watching the movie, I'm sure Marcy is not that interested in the Battle of the Bulge. Mm. Um, she goes to the bathroom, and her parents hear a loud noise. Lots of banging and clattering. Um, they, of course, get up, rush to the, uh, well, Jerry, who has two working feet, gets up and rushes <laughs> to the bathroom. Um, the only one that does at this point. He swings open the door. Marcia is still covering her head, apparently protecting from falling objects. Um, the shower curtain rod uh, was in the bathtub. The towels were all over like they had been thrown around the room. The full shelf of toiletries had just been emptied. And uh, even apparently the caps from the Listerine and other bottles like that were snapped off, broken off. 
Oh my god. Um, so as Jerry's dealing with that, cleaning this up, he hears um, a noise from upstairs. Oh boy, he goes upstairs. This really is hell weekend. The curtains were down on the floor for both uh, the master bedroom and Marcia's bedroom. Ain't no one getting TV. Ain't no one getting curtains. It's curtains for you. <laughs> it's no curtains for you. <laughs> this was the last of it for Saturday night, and the family eventually did get a little bit of sleep. But Jerry was up by 8.30. Mm-hmm. And as he went downstairs to make the coffee, the table and several of the chairs were flipped over again. That's like the movie Poltergeist. Yeah. Also, the refrigerator had moved. In the, in the, <laughs> the night. fridge was flipped over. It was now blocking the kitchen door to the outside. Oh, okay. Creepy. Yeah. Probably a good call. At this point, Jerry removed the leaves from the table uh, so that it'd be a little less heavy and maybe do a little less impact damage to the floor as it continued. And maybe flipped. them, <laughs> if it flew around the room mm -hmm. again. And I found this funny. Laura said that she had been thinking about cutting Jerry's hair at the kitchen table that day. And uh, Jerry said, maybe we better not. <laughs> He's half shaven. Maybe I don't want you holding holding uh, scissors right next to my ears. We have two feet down in the house. Yeah. It's not it's not great. No, not great. So he went to go tell Laura about all the flipped um, furniture again. And as he walks into there. He hears a bang. No, uh, no. <laughs> he walks into the room. Laura's like, oh, honey, what? They had a silver crucifix on the wall right next to a uh, picture that showed a, showed Jesus and it said, bless our home. Um, both of these things simultaneously pulled themselves off of the wall, uh, complete with nails, and crashed to the floor. The couple embraced in terror and immediately heard noise. Once again, a banging sound oh, from Marcia's room. Leave them alone. As they rushed back in, Marcia's dresser had fallen over. Barely missing her arm, she was still asleep. Well, she had been still asleep. I'm yeah, sure that I'm woke sure her she up. was awake at this point. <laughs> yeah. And there was a crucifix. This family had, a, again, a devout Catholics in the 70s, right? They had a ton of crucifixes around this house. Um, as Laura walked into Marcia's room, a crucifix hanging over Marcia's door just fell down behind her. Lovely. Like, as she entered. Sure, why not? Now, something from the living room. <sighs> run downstairs. <laughs> then they all run downstairs like the Scooby-Doo gang. Yes. All three <laughs> recliners are now opening and closing Not themselves the violently and bouncing up and down, they said. Oh, my God. They're looking at that. Laura, wordless. It's like bed knobs and broomsticks in here. Mm -hmm. As Marcia and Jerry are dealing with that, they look and realize that Laura is just wordlessly pointing at the TV. Not the TV. In the living room, which is just making... Doorbell sounds. What? They said the TV was repeatedly making doorbell sounds. Holy shit. Okay. So Laura called. I don't know why that's so scary, it but is, it is. It's really good. It needs to be in a horror movie. It's <laughs> excellent. Excellent detail. So Laura calls their friends from down the street, the Hoffmans, and the family goes out to wait for them on the front porch. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. At that point. Mm-hmm. Uh -huh. It's like Conjuring 2. They just leave the house and go across the street. Now, Janet Holsworth, this is the girl who was over, uh, not the mom, but the daughter who was over on Thursday night. And she's walking her dog when the green porch couch 
uh, starts hovering off the ground. Now, this is their porch. Yep. Okay. They hop off the couch. It eventually rose to four feet in the air and slammed back on the ground, spilling the groceries from the day before that Jerry had never managed to get into the house. There was a 50-pound bag of dog food and a huge bag of onions that apparently split open and went tumbling everywhere. Laura and Marcia both started weeping. Yeah, they're over it. And Jerry yelled at at Janet Holsworth, please go get your father because we are in trouble here. And that's the cop. Yes. So finally, the boys in blue are going to be on the scene. Holsworth comes across the street. He's in his pajamas and a jacket. Um, okay, boys in pajamas then. <laughs> he's apparently in full cop mode because it, it said he entered oh, the house. You never aren't in cop mode when you're a cop. He entered the house, lit a cigarette, and said to Jerry, what the hell happened here? <laughs> Tell it to me straight, Jack. <laughs> um, so here's what Holsworth saw in the house. And Fucking now, chaos. Yep. He saw furniture and household items everywhere. The kitchen table was overturned and the chairs were askew. There were smashed dishes all over the carpet, utensils everywhere. He saw a radio smashed on the kitchen floor. Uh, a dresser in the master bedroom was on the floor, and there were wall items broken everywhere. Um, he said he moved the TV back into place. The TV had... The living room TV. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was 35 degrees out of position, just rotated. Well, when you're ding-donging that much, you know, you got to move around. So he rotated it back into place, said he started to walk away, and when he turned around, it had rotated back. Mm. So he walks back over to the TV like, what the hell? And as he's bending to check that out, the recliners start up again. Whoop, 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 <laughs> so he's whoop. seeing the yes. recliners doing the like he saw the recliners flappy do the thing. <laughs> open and shut thing. Oh, my God. And he's alone in this room. He's alone in this room. He's the only one whose word we have on these things. He said the fridge then slid smoothly across the floor. Jumped two feet in the air with no sound. What is it? Tara Lipinski? What is it doing? And hit him in the arm. Oh, my God. Okay. He left the house and called for backup. Yeah. The fridge is attacking him. So officers Carl Leonzi and Joe Tomek get the call around 10 a.m. 10 a, a couple of dazzled friends from Pelham, of probably. Of course. Leonzi and Tomek? Sure. They're, they're <laughs> hanging out with the Mussolini brothers. <laughs> and Fuzzy. <laughs> Here, uh... The call, the call they got on their radio said it, there was an unknown situation transpiring on Lindley Street. That's putting it mildly. Very mild. Uh, and the dispatcher asked them to call back on a landline and let the department know what was going on uh, so they could keep things private. Interesting. So as to avoid embarrassment or whatever. Do I sound like I'm ordering a pizza? Well, because like when you hear the bare details of this from the outside, you could think like domestic or something like that. And, you know, I, don't know. I guess... And this was at a time when domestic violence was something to be <laughs> to be quietly swept under the rug, of course. Oh, yeah. Things are so different now. So Laura answered the door crying and just pointed to the bedroom. The family had moved back into the house by the time the officers came. Marcia was, in fact, just watching cartoons in the recliner. The officers thought it looked like a burglary. Uh, and in fact, Leonzi, I think it was Leonzi, uh, walked over to Laura and said, don't worry, ma'am, you're safe now. And she said, you don't understand. The TV attacked me. I'm not safe. Yeah. Uh, as Meanwhile, Tomek set the TV back uh, right side up. Which TV is this? This is the one that had fallen over on Laura's Laura. toe. Ankle. Yes. No, Laura, sorry. 
Laura's toe. Uh, two toes. Yes. Okay. The, but the, the broken one. I, yeah, I think it's broken. I don't know. Maybe these maybe these sturdy. You would think the glass screen would They're shatter. They're definitely glass. I don't know. So he puts the TV back right side up and it falls over again after a minute. He picks it up and puts it back on the bureau. And the TV then floats in midair above the bureau about six inches. There were other observers in the room as Tomek walked close to the TV, looked around it. Put his hand underneath Yeah, like the whole, ooh, nothing, up, nothing <laughs> over here. He couldn't figure out what was holding it up. That's a ghost. He started to walk away and the TV, Tomek said, started to swing back and forth slowly like a pendulum on the end of a string. And then finally, gently, set itself back down. I would not turn my back on a floating TV. <laughs> Absolutely not. Now, Jerry pointed out that when these things moved, they always were set back down slightly out of place, just slightly askew as if the... A little shangad. Yes. A little <laughs> shangad, uh, just to uh, really kind of stick it to you. It sounds like that's what a lot of this is. So next, uh, George Wilson and Leroy Lawson showed up. These are two more officers. You need more backup. <laughs> Tomek starts TV's a-floatin', we need backup. Tomek's trying to explain to them what's going on. Um, and behind him, Wilson and Lawson saw the fridge rise up in the air, and they get Tomek's attention. He turns around just in time to see it fall again. They said it was uh, more than six inches off the ground. Once again, no sound when it hits the ground. Um, one cop went downstairs to look for trap doors, or I don't know... <laughs> Giant magnets, giant magnets that Bugs Bunny might be holding down there or something, <laughs> uh, but they couldn't find anything. Marcia, at this time, still seemed cool, still watching cartoons, not worried. I once slept through a literal flood in uh, an apartment <laughs> I lived in uh, when I was little. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I totally buy that. Now, around 11 in the morning, Tomek called for an ambulance, finally, for Laura's foot. And he called the fire department at the same time to come and do an inspection of the house. Jeez. Yep. Uh, they heard another loud noise, of course. That was Marcia's dresser. This Marcia's dresser at this point, uh, this time, was against the wall now near the closet. There was no one in the room. Genuinely, I'm, I'm imagining them like the end of Clue where they're running from room to room, but constantly. It's mm -hmm. like, oh, there's a noise. Oh, there's a noise. Oh, there's a noise. And they're just running in a circle around this house. 100%. It's a uh, farce. <laughs> this is a stage farce, what they're doing here. Mm hmm all four officers gathered around a wall cross in the hallway because it was swinging back and forth like a pendulum, uh, almost like the TV had done. Um, when it, Lawson, Officer Lawson was leaning close to it to see, and the cross pulled itself off the wall, complete with nail, and hit him right in the chest and fell to the floor. Uh, Lawson said out loud, that's it, I'm out of here. And <laughs> He's done. He walked out of the house into the patrol car and locked the doors. He's done he's out uh firefighters were on the scene at this point three units three trucks come up Jer jerry's trying to explain what's going on and as some of the firefighters were removing these large plaster angel statues from the wall these people were so religious <laughs> removing these large plaster angels that uh, laura was afraid would hurt someone if they fell assistant chief messina saw the tv once again flop over onto the floor Mm -hmm. uh, meanwhile, uh, Jerry was in the kitchen with his buddy Ted Holsworth, who was offering to help. However, he, you know, he's going like, "Listen, if you need a place to stay, if yeah. you whatever." And uh, Jerry 
in the middle of Ted's sentence, not listening, cocks his head and goes, there it goes again. What? There what goes again? Pink plastic roses in the vase on top of the TV had started moving in circles. Oh, boy. And Jerry confided in Holsworth at this point that when the phenomena were happening, he felt a heaviness in his chest and a tightness in his skin and smelled sulfur and ozone. That's well, the, the first two, he could be having like a panic attack. Third one, he could be having a stroke. Sulfur. Isn't a stroke usually like burnt toast? Yeah. Or and oranges. ozone. Mm. That's weird. As he was telling Ted about the ozone smell and the tightness in his chest, the kitchen TV console once again slowly laid itself down, screen side down on the floor. Jerry broke down into tears and told Ted that everything is coming apart. Yeah. Now, did Ted smell or feel any of that? He didn't say he did, no. Now, Deputy Fire Chief Zwerline was at a loss and called the firehouse chaplain, thought that might be a better call, <laughs> Father Doyle. He was quoted as saying on the phone, now I am not drunk, but this is what is happening here, Father. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, Marcy was still sitting in the green recliner, watching cartoons. It suddenly bucked three times, uh, doing the same like, open, close, hop up, open, close, hop up, it had been doing before. Uh, and it does that three times before Laura can get out, and then it stopped kind of flopping around. Boy, uh, okay. Did I say Laura? I meant Marcia, the girl. Yes. Her mother, Laura, is weeping at this point, uh, saying, <laughs> evil spirits are trying to kill us. I mean, she's not wrong. Jerry took Marcia back into the kitchen, where a chair promptly flew away from the table, and the dish rack fell off the sink and almost onto the floor. Jerry caught it. And no, none of the dishes broke. This Saved time. their two remaining dishes. <laughs> yes. Jesus. Yeah. Um, Jerry's brother Edmund had come by. And I just like this um, this anecdote. Jerry's brother Ed heard a cop yelling at his superior outside the door. Uh, we don't know which officer it was. Um, but apparently it was, it's coming from the cat. I heard it say bye bye. You can have my job before I'll go back inside that house. <laughs> they had a cat too and it was talking to people? Mm-hmm. That's... Never good. Uh, another officer leaned close to Marcia and said, hey, when, he come, when he comes over to us, have that cat tell him his brother's name is Frank. Okay. And uh, so the, the man, they convinced the officer to go back and, no, the, the cat's fine. You go ask the kid. <laughs> He's good. But go ask the kid. The cat's fine. It's not evil. Uh, and he goes and he, he goes, does your cat, does your cat know my name? And she said, No. But he knows your brother's name. <laughs> it's Frank. And the guy, like, you know, pissed his pants. Um, so that's just officers having fun on the scene. Yes. You know? Neighbors started gathering at this point. I mean, obviously, right? There's quite a scene. Mm -hmm. And people are shouting suggestions. Uh, one lady, for some reason, mm -hmm. said they should put a bowl of vinegar in each room. Yeah. As you do. Your classic bowl of vinegar. <laughs> Perhaps a more helpful neighbor was Mary Pascarella. Uh, who had done some work with the Psychic Research Center in New Haven. Oh, cool. I don't think, I don't know if that still exists or not. We have to look into it. Yeah, I hope it does, but I don't know. I haven't heard about it. Exactly, and you'd think we would have. Yeah. Um, it was on Dixwell Avenue in New Haven at the time. Um, anyway, Mary was obviously into this psychic research stuff, so she decided she took it upon herself to test Mar Marcia's psychic powers. 
Um, she brought her into the bedroom where the curtains had been pulled down and stuff and took a little bottle of rubbing alcohol out of a drawer and put it on a, a dresser and said, Now, Marcia, can you move this with your mind? I think if you think really hard, you can get that to move. And she kept trying to do this for like 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And Marcia was bored. Um, wanted to kept asking if they could stop doing this and finally was frustrated, grabbed the bottle, threw it on the ground and spilled all the rubbing alcohol. Hmm. Then Jerry's brother, Ed, good old uncle Ed took Marcy out for lunch at Burger King and, uh, Mary Pascarello went off to go call the greatest authority on this kind of thing she could think of. She had just attended a lecture recently, uh, from Ed and Lorraine Warren mm-hmm. and she gave them a call. Now, meanwhile, Father Doyle had arrived from the fire department, and uh, two officers and Father Doyle, who himself was 230 pounds, uh, were trying to force the recliner into a lay-down position. The father's just laying in this thing as the other two guys are trying to force the back down. I'm trying to relax! Uh, and they couldn't, couldn't get it to recline. And Father Doyle said, um, when he was sitting in the chair, that a heaviness overtook him. He and he said, smelled farts and ozone. Oh, it's thick and debilitating, he said. There's an evil spirit in this place. Mm-hmm. And then Father Doyle, as apparently believing himself to be in a film, pulled out a leather kit with a rosary, holy water, and a little Bible, and uh, started doing a little house blessing. He decided to do just a standard house bless on this thing. Oh, honey, that's not going to do it. See what he could do about it. He had this little vial of holy water standing in front of him, and he was saying his magic words or whatever you have to do. And <laughs> Yeah, his magic words. And the holy water tipped over and rolled out of his reach onto the floor. Had a cap on it, didn't spill or anything, but he set it up again. Okay, and let's do this again. And again, in the exact same way, the bottle fell to its side and rolled off the the little table. Doyle put the whole kit away and said it's best not to uh, mess with something like this. This seems pretty serious. And he called an exorcist named Father Alphonse Tribo. Oh, was he local or? And Tribo will enter this story along with the two uh, maybe biggest personalities in this story uh, next week, Ed and Lorraine Warren. Mm-hmm. Um, Obviously, they bring a lot of things to talk about uh, just all by themselves, and uh, I didn't want to give this short story short shrift, so I have to uh, I have to save that for next week. I'm excited. Yeah, we've just built to a head, and this is... Hell Weekend. This is Hell Weekend. Uh, <laughs> this is when things came to, came to a head for the Goodens, but this isn't the end of the story by any means, and of course, we have plenty to talk about next week. Um, as fame kind of you know a ghost is already ruining their lives let's throw the cocktail of fame in there as well Absolutely. and see how that works for the poor poor Gooden family oh sean i hope things turn out okay for them no spoilers carrie no spoilers mm. yeah this is a crazy story um I'm surprised, actually, that I didn't grow up hearing about it, but the first time I ever had heard about it was probably, oh gosh, maybe 10 years ago or so. I was still living at home, and it was on an episode of, um, I think it was Paranormal Witness. I don't remember much of it. I remember the Warrens being involved, but... I was pretty shocked that I had never heard of this before since it's the purported world's most haunted house. And I grew up a very spooky, loving child right next door, um, next door figuratively, not literally. Uh, 
I, I couldn't believe that I hadn't um, read more about it uh, until that time. So I've been very excited to hear all about this story. Yeah, I'm... The, the amazing thing, it's all eyewitness reports, right? But... But it, that's... Yeah, it's all eyewitness reports. That's wild. And it's so documented by police and fire department. I mean, that's wild. Well, yeah, and but that's the thing. You've got all these eyewitness reports from different people, and it's not like any one person was at every instance. Not even Jerry yeah. or Laura or Marcia. There's some things that other people saw that none of them did. Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't be possible for them to do. Well, people can be people can be amazing at doing fake stuff, but sure. But let's say people think it's Marcia because she's the young girl, and a lot of people tend to think that in these cases with poltergeists. I do. How you think it's her? No, I usually. Oh, think usually the yeah. poltergeist is a child. But how is out. she going to move this giant fridge when there's no one else in the room and she's not in the house? Right. Yeah. With this. We'll get into it next week. There's some possible, um, there's some possible explanations, but but you have to kind of go into the direction almost of um, mass hysteria or just, or is this whole family lying and they managed to pull people into uh, some kind of a delusion? Um, I don't know. It's cr- it's crazy and it's a pretty convincing, pretty interesting story. I'm really excited to share the rest of it with you because because the craziest stuff is not all behind us yet. Oh my god. Okay. All right. I'm going to say a little prayer for this family going forward. And uh, yeah, I can't wait till next week. Yeah, but why? Of all the, the stories the Lorraines have... Uh, the Lorraines. Of all the stories the um, Warrens have injected themselves into, um, why is this one not a movie? I don't know. Conjuring 3? Who knows? Yeah, it could Should be. be. I mean, the thing is, it's very similar to Conjuring to the Enfield. That was the Enfield poltergeist, right? Yep. I mean, it's centered around a young girl. The family is not very well to do. Um, there is police involvement. Isn't you know, that, it might that, be a little too close. That's all true of the first Conjuring. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I don't know. I, I imagine the third one's going to be about a poltergeist that Ed and Lorraine <laughs> go to. Yeah, we'll see. Let's Let's do it. Let's get Lindley in there. Uh, I hope so. Um, I think that, that, that that'll do it for this week on this topic, but we're going to come right back with uh, some news, mm-hmm. which I'm looking forward to. <laughs> Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. You're here, which means you love podcasts, but are you looking for another kind of entertainment on the go? Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers to memoirs, news, business, and more. By signing up for a free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash scary, you'll receive access to thousands of titles with one credit toward any audiobook and two Audible originals, free during your trial and then with subscription each month after. 
Personally, my favorite Audible title is also my favorite book, It by Stephen King. I went into this audiobook ready to judge because I've loved this novel since I was a kid. But between the stellar production value and the truly breathtaking narration performance by actor Stephen Weber, I was 100% all in. If you like this podcast and have a strong stomach, I think you will be too. Not into audiobooks? No problem. With podcasts, theatrical performances, guided meditations, and more, Audible offers something for everyone. So what are you waiting for? Get started now. And hey, you'll be helping support the podcast. Visit our link at www.audibletrial.com slash scary for a free trial. That's www.audibletrial.com slash A-I-N-T-I-T-S-C-A-R-Y. Audible. Listen more. It's time for Crying Saucers. <laughs> On December 29th, just before we switched over from 2020 to 2021... Eyewitnesses on the Hawaiian island of Oahu spotted an unidentified flying object, or UFO, in the night sky around 8.30 p.m. local time. Okay. The object can, of course, be called a UFO because it is unidentified and remains so. However, it doesn't mean it was piloted by aliens. In any case, the object appeared to be a glowing blue oblong solid object. Multiple witnesses reported seeing a large, bright blue object fall out of the sky and into the ocean, and reports were made to both emergency services and the Federal Aviation Administration. So this is an unidentified falling object. (laughs) Well, it was flying for a while, then it fell. For their part, the FAA says there were no aircraft incidents or accidents in the area at this time. Hmm. A witness quoted on WIS News stated that the object was going fast and her and members of her family jumped into the car to follow it. Less than three miles later, the object appeared to drop swiftly and silently into the ocean. So it could also be a USO, unidentified submerged object. If it had, Well, it, if it had come out of the ocean in the first place, we don't know. The witness stated it was larger than a telephone pole and never made any discernible noise. How high was it? Uh, high in the sky. Then how can they tell how big it was? That's just what she said, Sean. Right. She called 911 after it dropped, and when officers were on the scene, they all spotted a second white light in the sky. This object passed over a nearby mountain and was lost to their eyes. Cops saw it, too. I believe so. That one That one could have been an unrelated plane. Could have been, yeah. So, uh, yeah, this was kind of all over the spooky news uh since then this weekend so we'll definitely stay updated on this story in the weeks to come we'll see if we hear anything else did anyone get video of this uh dr manhattan penis it kind of does look like that and yes yes let me see if i could pull some up for you just for your reference thank you After a lit up flying- well look at that okay so there are several different clips that show this thing. There definitely was multiple videos and pictures. I think it's a hang glider. Or, or what do you call it? It looks like a parasail to me. I know, there's like a second part to it. Yeah, though. that's a person. No, they're not moving. I, th- I, think we, I think they witnessed a fatal parasailing accident. Don't you think that that would have been in the news? 
You would hope so, unless it was uh, like a, an illegal hobbyist. You're not supposed to be night parasailing. No. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> well, we haven't heard anything yet about what else it could possibly be. We just know the FAA says it's probably not um, some sort of aircraft or aircraft accident. Interesting. So? Interesting. I'd love to think that it's a UFO. Listeners, do take a look it at it. It is a UFO. Yes, Whether it's an alien it. object is up for conjecture. But No, but I would love to know that it's not a parasailer. Yeah. Well, I posted a still of it today that's January 5th on our Instagram page. So if you'd like uh, to you know, take a look at it, see what you think, leave us a comment. Was it a fatal parasailing accident? <laughs> Let us know. Let's take a trip to the Bizarre Bazaar. I feel like that one should be a gong. Okay. We're going to have drops for all of these. <laughs> sure. I promise. We've been saying that for how long? Teenagers exploring a local house rumored to be haunted in Norway, South Carolina, got the surprise. Well, which is it? Norway or South Carolina? <laughs> Both. Uh, got the surprise of their lives Sunday, January 3rd, when they found not a ghost, but a corpse. Eee. The teenagers snuck into the abandoned house sometime after 5 p.m. that evening, trying to look into local legends that the house was haunted. After entering, the teens found a deep freezer, which they said smelled like rotting meat. Don't open it! Well, you can imagine the rest, Sean. Why did they open it? Because they're teenagers and something smells weird. It was always going to be a corpse. Apparently, the deceased had been there for what seemed to be months and could quite possibly be the victim of foul play. Yeah. He was stuffed into a freezer. Well, you know, so was Indiana Jones, but he did that to himself. The identity. Oh, yeah, I remember. <laughs> Sadly, the identity of the person found has not yet been determined, but an autopsy will be completed later this week. These kids will certainly be thinking twice the next time they decide to explore local urban legends. God, I have to imagine that's a murder, a murder victim. Yeah, I think so, probably. Especially it's an abandoned house. Probably figured no one would be uh, finding them for a while. And, and they were right. They were right. <laughs> yeah. right. So it's sad. Uh, RIP to whoever that is. And um, let's hope these kids get therapy. Yeah, the freezer would control the smell. It's a pretty good play, even if the freezer's not plugged in. In theory, hypothetically. We're, not, we're talking about like a chest freezer? I just want to know what's yeah, the best model I'm looking for. Sorry, what? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> jokes, jokes. If I'm found in a freezer. No, it's not for you. It's not for you. You all know who did it. We both know which way the likely murder goes in this relationship, and it's not me killing you. <laughs> but Sean, it's always the husband. You're now the husband. It's literally your fault. That's it for this episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Ain't It Scary. And check out our website at ain'titscary.com. You can support the show by supporting our sponsors and uh, by becoming a patron at www.patreon.com slash ain'titscary. And please subscribe to the show and throw us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We'll be forever grateful. 
A special thanks to our Tier 3 patrons who get some special prezzies and benefits. <laughs> uh, right now, those are Nate Curtis, Sean O'Donnell, and Jared Chamberlain. Uh, we're, we can't wait for you to join us and them over there. <laughs> yes, thank you very much. We can't wait and thank you guys so much. See you next Thursday. Show created by Sean and Carrie McCabe. Music by Kyle Ryan. This has been a production of Longboy Media. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects.